Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. And I'm Charles Rogers with a vanilla bean frap. And today we are joined by a another guest. Erin, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Erin. Uh, I'm here because, if I remember correctly, uh, at one point, Charles and I, we were chatting and you interjected with Erin. You're, you're gay, right? <laughs> it's true. Okay, how's... So that's the first check. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's the first check. Sure. Yeah. Uh, how is that relevant? Well, we were talking, you were listening to the podcast. I Aaron was. and I, Aaron and I do a weekly, uh, a a weekly get mutual. together. Yeah. And during it, we were talking about the podcast because it's very exciting. Gotcha. You know, I was talking about it. She was listening to it and she has a lot of thoughts. <laughs> Always. And at one point I went in my brain, I was like, wait. I'm like 99% sure Aaron is in the queer community somehow. We should bring her on the show to do her thoughts on the show. <laughs> right. Of course. And we were like, it's like that Billy on the Street episode where he's like, name a woman, name a woman. <laughs> and Charles can't think of anybody because he, you know, he's obviously a male and he's homosexual. So he's like, if someone True. goes, name a woman that you know, he's like, I don't know. I don't know any women. I was so surprised because in the moment I was like, our mutual friend, who is also female, is right here, but she she's not into Star Wars. No, she she watches about as much Star Wars as Bradley reads, which is to say, she is vaguely aware of its existence, but has no interest in partaking of it. That's fair. It's really too bad for her because uh, <laughs> I've definitely forced her to watch some Star Wars things. <laughs> show her show her Ewoks the battle for Endor that'll change her mind it's one of the best movies ever made yeah don't do that <laughs> absolutely do that no that's terrible advice don't ever tell anybody to watch Ewoks movie Aaron I can see Aaron in the zoom call and she just like she's processing <laughs> this she's like, trying to figure out if I'm joking I know what the, the Ewoks are and I remember the whole battle of Endor thing and uh I remember that by a different name as a film uh <laughs> actual piece of cinema wait a no, second it's a, it's a separate separate battle for indoor there were multiple battles for indoor uh, no we're talking about the the tv made for tv movie which aired on tv which technically qualifies it to be talked about on this show when did that happen that was in the 90s so okay so yeah in the 90s tell you what get a few of our our friends cocktail our excellent her excellent cocktails she's a mixologist so she'll probably come up with something good yeah and turn on these movies and everything will make sense to you so as we were talking um i was just looking this up i didn't realize that these ewok movies were live action i thought they were all cartoon because i guess there is a cartoon of the Ewoks, but I thought when I thought Battle of Endor was a cartoon. That's why I was like, wow, this is gonna be stupid. Now it's Dark Crystal stupid. Exactly. This is what I have been saying. It is one of the best movies ever made. God. It's it's like this duology of like Ewok movies that they did. 
Excuse me, what TV. did you just say about the Dark Crystal? Excuse me. <laughs> oh, the Dark Crystal is great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's what that looks. That's what the, I'm looking at the stills from the movie, and it looks like almost identical to that movie. Like it looks like it's got the puppets and the Jim Henson, all that stuff. Bradley famously has no taste. I've seen some of the people that he has been involved with, so mm-hmm. I can tell you for a fact he doesn't have good opinions on anything. I, I don't get the impression of taste. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Aaron's on here throwing, She's ready. throwing shade already. She She's ready, ready to go. She, she is ready to go. She knows what's good. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I what I I listened to that and the whole time, like I know that that's it's not it's not the the particular stance, uh, but the whole time I was listening to the last episode. I think that you guys put out, and the whole time I'm like. Why, why are we paying attention to this fella? Ming, Ming Wat is right there. I didn't even notice that kid. <laughs> Other than he's there, I guess. Oh, well, man. Some of, us, some of us are, are unfortunately cursed with just being gay. We don't get, uh, we have to make do with what we've got and what we've got are men, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I've, uh, I've heard of them. <laughs> Yeah, don't recommend. I've heard of these men before. No, unfortunately, no. So there's not really any Star Wars news that we were were looking at. Uh, Nothing is really... We're expecting a little bit more in the coming weeks. weeks, Yeah, because it's as of this recording, we're almost at the end of March. So we're we're getting closer and closer to April, which is where hopefully more stuff is going to start appearing um and being on disney plus too as well so i think we'll have a little bit more to talk about as that gets a little closer so that's good because that means we don't have to waste aaron's valuable time and we can dive straight into yes this uh this week we're taking a look at the mandalorian season one episode seven titled the reckoning uh where an old contact extends an invitation for the mandalorian to make peace with his enemies I'm going to ask our guest first because that's just the polite thing to do. Uh, Aaron, what is one thing that you liked about this episode and one thing you did not? I did prepare for this question. Okay, good. Uh, and I've decided my answer is the ending for both because I I liked it from a narrative standpoint. It's, it's a good ending. It's a great ending, but I didn't like it personally. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> like it in my heart of hearts. I got you. I didn't it hurt like that's fair my my logical objective brain is like ah yes very well done very well done that's a we got a great entrance here we've got a just a poignant exit pull that heartstring Mm -hmm. and and the actual emotional side of me the that that's had the the heartstring pulled is like no (laughs) no I don't yeah Although I'm sure there's things I'm forgetting that'll come up that that I won't like or will right. like. I mean, you can like more well, than one thing. I'm just, you know, I just try to give so it. I've you heard. can like more than one thing. So I've heard. I to pick like one and define your entire life and Twitter yes. by and that one thing. Personality and everything has to all be defined by one. Yes, everything revolves around one thing. Right. That's it. It is interesting as somebody who like is savvy enough and is a creative 
there's a disconnect. It's almost like I know I'm being emotionally manipulated and I can appreciate how well I'm being emotionally manipulated, but I'm still being emotionally manipulated and it still hurts. You just I mean, hear like, like Spock, like I've been emotionally compromised. That's fair. Uh, yeah, because uh, Charles, what did you like about this episode? What didn't you like? I liked the production design. I love the lava flats in general. Oh. Uh, I like the the use of the color and the use of the the way that they're designed. Uh, there's more playing with the light and shadow mm -hmm. that they do um, in one of the scenes in the middle of the episode. I felt like a lot of this episode was set up yeah. for episode eight. I mean, I yeah. feel like for Mando and for Cara Dune, there wasn't much in the way of like an arc from beginning to end. Like we talked about even with episode three mm -hmm. as part of a larger arc, Mando still had his own character arc within that episode. And I felt like really only Grief Karga got that in this episode. So mm -hmm. I felt it was a little weaker on, like it sacrificed a lot to lead into episode eight as opposed you. to really standing alone as its own episode. Right. And that kind of, I want to say bothered me because it didn't. Overall, I liked the episode. If, if I had to pick one thing about it that I didn't like, that would be it. Is I feel like they could have done more with the other characters who weren't with Grief Karga having to go through kind of arcs. Yeah, so I agree with you because I think that you're, this this episode was technically designed to be essentially part one of the series finale and then you know part two is the climax of the whole entire season right so yeah i mean it wasn't going to be the greatest episode in terms of like a complete storyline because it's really hard to do a complete storyline if you do a part one and a part two if you're designing it that way at least but if you're a, i mean to be fair though if you're a good storyteller you know every episode can be self-contained regardless of if it's a part one and a part two so maybe it just wasn't the strongest in that term um but like you said with the um with the set design and everything so little fun fact this was also recorded concurrently with or this is filmed concurrently with um episode one and episode three. So they kind of went episode one, episode three, and then they went seven, eight um, because they're all on the same planet. They're all with the same actors. They're all, you know, it was just easier for production that way. So they're with the same set. Almost right. like competent producers made this. I, I mean, you know, someone's trying to save money at Disney. Gee, Disney saving money. Can't, <laughs> can't actually wrap my head around. Actually, genuinely that, that, that sentence makes my brain hurt. That sounds fake. That doesn't sound real. No. It's not a thing. Yeah, that don't check out. <laughs> what about no. you, Bradley? One thing you liked and one thing you didn't. Um, so one thing I liked was Butler IG eleven. Um, I love that he's back. Uh, you know, I felt like we he was gone too soon. Glad that he's back. Um so I just for character purposes, I like that the fact that they brought him back. Um dislike uh quill dying um i just didn't feel like it was a deserved death like it was just kind of like a, he was only in the one episode and then they brought him back for this episode and then it was just kind of like 
Okay, let's kill him because we don't really know how he's going to fit in with the rest of Mando's progression as a character. So let's just fucking kill him. Like, that's how, just how I felt about um, it. But we'll get more into it once we get to that scene. But sorry, I, I know I'm going to talk over you and, mm-hmm. I, and I hate that. I hate that in, no. in, in audio. But I think we you just that. verbalized the thing that, uh, that I was trying to put my, my, my finger on. What did he do? He just got here. Right. <laughs> he just got here. I already love him. And how dare you? Like, yeah, but like I said, we'll get more into it once we get to that scene. But I just, I, I didn't like it. Um, okay, so let's start with the beginning of the episode. So uh, we come in on the uh, Razor Crest in space. Uh, Mando gets a phone call from Grief Karga and he gives him a pretty sweet deal. Mando, years ago, you served my father in the Clone Wars. <laughs> Help me, Mando. You're my only hope. That was the only thing I could think about when I was watching that scene. I was surprised. It's not like, help me, Mando. You're my only hope. <laughs> it, it's such a reference-heavy show. I know. I mean, reference-heavy, or this is just how phone calls work in this universe? That's true. When does a reference become just something that's a part of the universe? We've talked about this before. We have. This is not a reference. There will be many other ref. There will be many references in this episode, but this is is not actually one of them, but it's also all I could think about when I watched the scene. (laughs) During that portion, all I could think was, is this being... Are these transmissions live or no no they can't that this is recorded so it has to be yeah it, is this a voicemail what's the I, yeah i guess it's kind of like a delayed voicemail if you think about it like um have you ever seen uh, interstellar i did not see interstellar no Sorry. okay so in the movie not, not to go too deep into this movie because it's four hours or like three plus hours or something um Basically, what happens is on Earth, someone sends a, like a Skype recorded message or something like a video call to mm-hmm. them on the spaceship that leaves Earth, but they don't get it for like due to like some kind of dumb time thing. They don't get it for like 10 years after they sent it. So mm-hmm. she yeah. sends the video message and then he gets it like for him, it's like only been, you know, like a few months but for her on earth or whatever, it's been like years since he sent the message. And so it's kind of like one of those situations. Yeah. Like it's like a delayed thing, but I guess here it's not as delayed as 10 years. It's you just know, like a weekend. This could have been an email. <laughs> I think this might be that this universe is equivalent to an email. Like it, it could very well be. Uh, I, I don't know enough about how uh, radio communications work to make a, proper comparison but this is how like communications worked for a long time like for example a fax machine was invented before the telephone right the whole you send a transmission and it gets there at some point in time it's carrier pigeons yeah it's it's weird you have to wait for the the thing to get to the other place it's all data it's all it's just physics the other reason i wanted erin on the show in addition to the reason, the, the fact that she has lots of thoughts on the Mandalorian was Aaron is also a historian. And so Aaron knows these fun things and has that point of reference. I am 
paying off some uh, money to a certain state university uh, who gave me access for four years to so many great primary resources. I majored in American history and psychology. So. You made better choices than me and Bradley did. Yeah, I was going to say, I chose entertainment business, so. I, I chose writing. I'm a screenwriting major. Yeah, well, I, I guess that's a little worse than yeah. just pure entertainment business, because. At least your major, Bradley, like, it's, you're employed <laughs> in your major. For now. My, Mm, yeah for now <laughs> you don't get employed as a historian or or a, a psychological professional uh until you do grad school so <laughs> oh. uh yeah. i personally feel like i used my psych degree every day <laughs> you do deal with like actual human people in person we we as you know, we record these episodes using the Zoom video calls. And the minute I said you deal with people, Erin's whole body like seized up <laughs> and she took a deep inhale. I, it's too bad this isn't a visual meeting, medium simply because I'm, I'm pretty sure like the whole time we were getting ready for this episode, I was like, this is going to be like what a couple hours of Charles being like, and Aaron's face just did a thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Pretty because, much. Because her face does very funny things. You know what? And unfortunately you don't have a, a Mando helmet on because then nobody would ever know what your expressions are. Like you could always just like sit there and just be like, Oh, I roll, you know, but nobody would ever know because you have that Mando helmet on. So you can be covering yeah, your face. Have you considered the the word of our Lord and Savior, Mandalore? This is the way. <laughs> this is the way. Exactly. Speaking um, of the Mandalore and Mandalorians, I have a question about mm -hmm. this sequence because it raised it for me. Yeah. And that is, was Grief Cargo the one, because he talks like he's he wasn't the one sending the bounty hunters after Mando and and. Right. child but like he obviously was so is he trying to play that off in this scene so i do know a bit about like the history of bounty hunting <laughs> so bounty hunting uh as we know it today the sort of a uh bail bondsman recovering like so someone who skipped out on their on their sentence essentially coordinating that the sort of like running an organization that gets bounty hunters together and connects the, it, it's it's all connecting the bounty hunter with the client who wants the ban who wants the the skip brought in that's not the word no that's a, i mean that's, that's good enough the asset uh, and it started as we know it today out in uh what's out in san francisco back in the wild west uh, and it started out of a, a bar essentially like mm. it, it started out like lloyd's of london basically connecting the, th the people who want the thing done with the people who the freelancers who will do that for you right. and it was deeply corrupt and watching this i'm like oh yeah it's just, it's the same thing he's just a, the coordinator right no i i definitely yeah. felt that too i didn't think he had any ill will towards mando or anything like that he's just the guy that you go to to finance or like 
yeah. the guy you go to get the people to go get them. So I think the client is the one that was sending the bounty hunters. Grief Cargo is just the one coordinating it. He's just going, oh yeah, I got guy A, guy B, guy C, and they'll all go get them for you. But you yeah. have to hire them. Like I can't hire them. I just get a cut. I mean, Mando did shoot him. Well, yeah, I mean, he might be I'm sure he's probably a little salty about getting shot. I did not know. That is interesting. I didn't know that that was an actual thing, that that bounty hunter coordinators were an actual thing. I knew bounty hunters existed. Yeah, they're just not as interesting as the ones in Star Wars, obviously. By the way, I think it's us in the Philippines. That's the, the only two places in the world where bailing having a bail set for you mm. and then having a bail bondsman or a bounty hunter we're the only two countries that do it it's considered kind of a unethical elsewhere and it evolved out of all right so sometimes people say uh can you put up the money for my bail and then they skip town because right once you, the bail's put would, up yeah, right? yeah yeah it's like who cares you would and so you need someone who's willing to put up the money and you better stay in town or I will say send someone after you. Mm. And so it's separate from both the, it's separate from the legal system, but of course they worked within the legal, coordinated with the legal system in that beautiful way that only, only America can really do where you're, <laughs> where, you where you're incestuous. But you're con- contracted with the government. Right. A very incestuous and then you have contractors. I love that. I do want to shout out the baby Yoda Yoda uh, puppet work for him sleeping. It's so he's so cute watching that. I mean, he's like, sleeping. He's snoozing the same way when you fall asleep on a long car ride and Mando's <laughs> just kind of checking back there like he doing okay. He's he like doing okay. okay. He's good. It's 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 like oh road trip like road trip feelings that's i did get that too i did get that little vibe of like he's tired after this long flight because they've just been flying all over the place yeah remind reminded me of uh being like dragged between airplane connections as a kid being carried around by my parents like okay and it's the middle of the night we got to catch the red eye and hey aaron look we're in vegas you're asleep okay let's go um so yeah we get the title sequence of the reckoning charles what is what does reckoning mean? What do you think it means in this episode? Reckoning is uh, when you have to deal with something that you don't want to deal with. And it's coming home to eat crow essentially and, and deal with something that has previously happened or something you have previously done. So in the context of this episode, we are dealing with the events of the first three episodes. And finally, after spending three episodes running, we are coming back now to attempt to deal with this once and for all. Mm. Yeah, because he clearly, he uh, wants to (laughs) do something because he's like, I'm just going to go back and see every other person I ever known, ever met. And I'm just going to go visit all of them at once. Like Aaron, you sounded like you had something you wanted to add to the reckoning. Well, I reckon it probably means. Oh, and that was all I had. That was my thought. That oh, liter- a literal like Western reference. You're, you're like I reckon. Means I reckon. It is a very Western title, you know, the reckoning. 
I okay. I actually see that's actually not a like a bad point to make that it just could just be a reference to the Western slang. (laughs) That's just how some people talk. I mean, I reckon. (laughs) In this moment, I'm acutely aware of my my family is from like the the border states area. I inherit. I I I picked up on their way of speaking. Um. So we we head back to uh, episode four planet. Um, which I, I could just call the the, the shrimp planet. It uh, has a name. They mentioned the name in the episode. I started to write it down and went. I never remember. Oh, it doesn't really matter. I know. It begins something. with an S. Sc- it's not Scaro. That's the planet from Doctor Who. Scurvy. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. It's like Sabak. S- 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 I don't know. Um. Solo a Star Wars story. Right, <laughs> Solo a Star Wars. Um, so no. they fly to Solo a Star Wars story. Right. Swamp Planet, or I, or we could just call it Earth because it's green and blue. Um, so they are, you know, actually, well, I'll wait till we get to the They next fly to Washington planet. State. They fly to Washington State. Uh, I was going to make a joke because the second uh, planet is going to Arizona. Because so. she actually lives in the Washington State area. Do they have yeah, shrimp, krill farms? <laughs> Do they have the krill farming? Uh, no. Um, uh, do they have blue what? alcohol? <laughs> uh, n- honestly, watching it, uh, no, we, we have neither of those things. <laughs> now, uh, crayfish and crawdads, you'll find that in like... New Orleans. South. So there we go. She's He flew to New Orleans. Okay, that's decided. Okay. <laughs> so he More flew to like New Orleans. The, the kind of the areas up in like uh, along the Mississippi and such. Right. By the way, if you have not had like proper New Orleans seafood, you absolutely need to have it. It is phenomenal. That is my plug for the day. New Orleans, pretty no, all right, I, actually. Well, I don't know if they have this in New Orleans, but we see uh, Cara Dune uh, beating up Darth Maul's cousin in an underground fighting ring. Um, underground uh, in big quotation marks right some big yes. MMA like public fight <laughs> it's the same bar from episode 4 right which is weird that's yeah, just it's... bars in the country <laughs> it's just the entertainment so does the bar have this tether like randomly lying around or did like Darth Maul's cousin bring it like, <laughs> yeah. with him he was like I'm gonna fight somebody today and so he brought like, like his thing yeah, uh, I I just assumed that this is just kind of like the local pastime, you know? Yeah, there's like, not much to do. Yeah, there's only so much to do. I mean, right. it's a the, backwater. the farther out in the middle of nowhere you get, like, especially, right. like, not now, because people have internet now, but just the, all right, anybody want to see me and him fight? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly, no, that's kind of what it is. Well, here's the thing, because I noted this, too, as being a little bit confusing, because in episode four, remember, they walk into the bar and Cara Dune is there. And mm-hmm. Mando's like, oh, planet's taken. Whole planet's taken. Right. Can't go anywhere else. Whole planet. And now there's at least more than one Merc in the bar. Right. That's clearly the person that she is fighting. And it's, it, you know, some of the others look like they could be this seedy underworld type. So 
Have they lifted the restrictions on CD Underworld types coming to this planet now? I didn't look at those folks and think Merc. I just thought this is just some of the local dudes who like to fight sometimes. Yeah, how racist of you, Charles, to assume that a I'm sorry, I, and, uh, <laughs> I assumed I assumed that the Zabrak was right. a mercenary. Uh, that that may have been on me to make that unfair assumption uh, about. Like, you don't know. He could be a lawyer. <laughs> he just <laughs> likes to fight. Like you know I what mean, I mean. I have known some lawyers who get into some. some interesting stuff on mm. their off hours he could so be a dentist true. you don't know him you don't know his life i mean oh, it's I'm... an agrarian planet so i assume they have loads of folks that are there to just do physical labor and <laughs> right yeah he could be a laborer like who knows he strong mm -hmm. he clearly was <laughs> <laughs> clearly not strong enough to to win against Cara Dune, though. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Cara Dune, I am accustomed to being disappointed by attractive men. <laughs> but we good are. lord. Good lord. The experience is tenfold more frustrating when the person in question is a woman, and rewatching this was a lot. Interesting. My first impression back in whenever this was first released, watching this was mm -hmm. just. Like, are we on Tatooine? It's a little hot in here. <laughs> Holy shit, Cara Dune would absolutely wreck me and my body is ready for it. <laughs> I love that. This was no different, except I also feel just like even, even more upset with the whole thing. Like I feel personally attacked by all of this and yeah. just stab me in the throat. <laughs> I noted I noted uh one shot with her biceps and I went oh this this is this is probably uncomfortable for people who find her attractive to watch right now. uh the stab me in the throat th thought that that came as as she won the fight I'm just like all right uh okay all right all right uh, it's like she can beat me up anytime I am five foot one and so that's just that's just a given like just throw me over your shoulder and hey she's smaller than uh cousin maul so she beats him up so you never know size size matters not oh i just know i i i, I would not win most fights <laughs> anyway so but 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 uh god just all of that is just like Okay. Wait, how tall are you? Five foot one. So she's five foot eight in real life. Mm, yeah, that, that seems about right. So that sounds good. And then the Dobrak was probably what, like six, four? Six, four, six, five. <laughs> I have a cousin. I have a cousin who's six, six. It's actually terrifyingly tall. Yeah. I feel like most of that race of, and not to be racist like you against aliens, but um, I feel like most of the Darth Maul race has to be pretty big just because it's like a like a very you know kind of like looking it's just a very menacing looking alien so they're i feel stocking. like they all would be pretty big yeah i believe they are called the zabrak in legends i believe mm. they are just the knight brothers in canon but i would i will of course keep referring to them as the zabrak just because that's pre-programmed into my brain and i can't make it stop 
oh god oh god make it stop the pain it hurts so much to know all this stuff please dear god put me out of my misery i mean it says that uh sabrex are canon so i don't know why that would be different. oh good that's fine i can keep doing it then yeah, I no, did like. I think the whole Darth Maul thing and the brothers and the Night Sisters, all that stuff. That's just there. That's a separate group of them. They're the same species, but it's just like a separate. They're on a different planet or something. Oh, I did like. Ever since you pointed out in Episode Four, Bradley, Baby Yoda walking along behind him, I did mm-hmm. notice Baby Yoda walking along behind him this time. Yep, I love that. Baby Yoda moves very quickly for being so bitty, <laughs> and. <laughs> can confirm i walk very very fast just to keep up with people but he's going so slow until you look away i mean yeah he he's a little nugget like he does walk like a little (laughs) you know little goob but it's funny because i told you like it probably takes mando like an hour to walk with him like why let him walk just pick him up like it's like it's like letting like your chihuahua follow you but like you're walking (laughs) at like a million miles an hour and the thing's like like 10 feet behind you and you're like hurry up little legs like come on yeah i'm always Bradley would know (laughs) because his dog is approximately like right tiny little was roommate's dog is this tiny little thing Mm -hmm. i trust his expertise on this i have a cat uh and that little asshole is not gonna follow me anywhere right (laughs) he's just gonna sit on my bed that he thinks is his bed and Mm -hmm. wait for his food that i pay for and only exercises at three o'clock in the morning when I'm trying to sleep. I mean, they are nocturnal. I'm not. (laughs) Um, I wanted to get back to Kara because she says something that you mentioned in the fourth episode, I think. Um, We talked about how we didn't, I I talked about how in that episode, I didn't like Kara's character because I felt like they leaned too heavily in the rebel shock trooper kind of storyline. But in this episode, she talks more about the fact that she, the reason why she doesn't want to go with Mando is because she'd be arrested like instantly because of the mercenary work that she's been doing since she has been a rebel shock trooper. And I was like, why didn't they talk more about this stuff before? I would have been like more okay with the fact that, that she was, you know, cause she was a mercenary, but they like kind of glossed over the fact that she was a mercenary in that episode. And now they kind of like brought it up a little bit more. Okay. I have thoughts about this. Yeah. Cause I heard that episode I guess my question is, uh, why did why did you not like that she was a, a shock trooper? Oh, um, so I think I, I what I what I was trying to say in that episode was that I just didn't like how they were leaning so heavily into like um, mm. just the the shock trooper storyline. I guess it just wasn't as interesting to me unless it, and if she had been like what she said she was, which was a mercenary or a bounty hunter because I was comparing it to the, the Ming-Na Wen character who is a female bounty hunter. I feel like that's such a more interesting story than what they were, I guess, trying to do with Kara in the beginning, which was like, oh, I was with the Republic, but now I don't know what to do with myself because the war's over kind of thing. And so, so for Kara Dune, it made perfect sense to me that she would not be a bounty hunter. I, I end up working with a lot of people who are ex-military. And the former military turned mercenary thing, that's so common. Like tons of people get work after discharge doing private sector security or just, uh, you know, mercenary work. Look at Blackwater. 
Uh, but no, it makes perfect sense to me that this is a character who, like, she. we lean into the, yeah, I was a shock trooper. I think the story is leaning it's it's leaned into because this the reason a character like that would have joined up in the first place i mean she's there to do one thing and one thing only it's kill imperials and then when she's out the reason she's no longer once your war is over that's when they start kind of getting a little antsy about war crimes and things and start prosecuting for that sort of shit and she's not there to build the new republic she joined to kill imperials and we know this because it comes they, up it comes episode. up and that's what makes her go oh i get to kill imperials i'm in mm. and no she she wouldn't be able to be a bounty hunter in the way that mando is because she, she wouldn't be able to take a job from a client right well yeah she's not a part of the yeah she's not a part of the guild either so it's not like she can just you know join and be like all right i'm good to go like it's also poignant to me and i I mentioned this in episode four the idea of somebody who did join up for the purpose of fighting (laughs) and once the fighting is over like what do you what do you do if you're there for that reason it's it's all well and good if you're there to restore the republic and you know you're there for political reasons or you're there for ideological reasons. Not everybody is going to be there for that reason. Some people are going to be there because fuck the empire. Right. Yeah. And the sort of training that she would have ended up doing, like she's obviously like some kind of former special forces uh, did infiltrative work and such like that, which of course she would have become a mercenary right not mercenaries work as a group they're not individual freelancers or contractors the way a bounty hunter would be and i think that from the onset saying yeah uh i did x y and z and of course the new republic would not be on great terms with her because she probably skipped out to do more killing of imperials after it was clear that they were like all right so we'd like you to do some some uh riot control stuff mm-hmm. wait i don't get to kill anybody specifically right. imperials i'm out thanks i actually had i don't know if i noted this bradley may not know this because bradley doesn't know how to read uh but mon mothma actually um demilitarized the new republic Mm. so one of the things that the new republic did was once the war was over they scaled back their forces massively to being essentially peacekeeping forces and that's part of how the first order was able to come in and this is an underlying plot in star wars resistance is that the First Order is able to come in to areas of the galaxy that the New Republic can't really patrol because Mon Mothma demilitarized them so much, they don't have the forces to be able to come in and do that and say, well, we can protect you from pirates and marauders and raiders, and all you have to do is agree to let the First Order in and let us station a garrison. 
that's how they get these places. If you watch Resistance, the first season from beginning to end, and you get to see like marathon it and see what their whole plan is for taking over the Colossus. It's really actually very insidious what they're doing to where they're trying to set up a situation where people are willing to give up their freedom actively because the alternative is security and safety. It's one of those things that underpins uh, Star Wars is not political in the slightest uh, and has nothing to say not about politics at all. Anything, not based on anything that might no. have happened in real of life. Of course not. Especially no. not, you know, in reference to any particular um, global conflicts. You might call them a world war. Nope. <laughs> Maybe that that's a fun nickname you could use. Yeah, you know, if if it were drawing from such things, which you know, obviously it does not draw from real history or politics. But this is space wizards. It's it's not real life. It's yeah, it's, it's magic space wizards. Two you know, different things. Whatever. She agrees because, yay, killing um and they head out imperials fuck the empire right specifically imperials she hears right. he's imperial i'm in um right. yeah she's like all right let's go so they hop they hop a ride uh they go into outer space um and they kind of keep talking about you know that kind of stuff um until while they're in space uh baby yoda decides to fly the ship yeah yeah he does <laughs> correctly <laughs> Monkey see, monkey do. The, this whole episode is a lot of uh, kind of references to just the nature of parenting. Mm-hmm. And if I, re- I think I made a note that, oh, is he going to be okay in there? Yeah, no, that's what she says. She literally says, "Can we?" And leave obviously, him alone? he's not. Right, <laughs> he's not okay in there. Because I think we, I think it's in the last episode. Um, was the prisoner episode? It was very similar uh, situation where you know mando is just not like he's not a father like he doesn't know how to take care of children and so one of the things he does is just kind of like lock up his kid like in his cage you know when he's not dealing with him and he's an 80s parent right so he's like i'm gonna just leave the kid alone and he's fine because he's 50 years old he can take care of himself um so (laughs) i I guess that's his thought process mando is daddy but he's not a very good dad (laughs) No, he's not. I mean, when has he been called upon to do dad stuff other right. than right now? Now, this is the moment. To... I think his interactions with children would have been maybe with like children at the covert, and he's not doing like the round-the-clock childcare. He doesn't right. know what they're supposed yeah. to. Do. Who takes care of the kids at the covert? Someone, I'm sure, takes care of the kids at the covert. Does anyone? I'm sure who. Someone's. I'm sure it's someone's job to. Uh, indoctrinate the children yeah i guess their Mm -hmm. weird cult ways um well they come to the conclusion i was gonna say that they need a babysitter yes because uh knows just enough about what's going on to go yeah like i i appreciate that as the female (laughs) character she's not there to do the babysitting Mm. love that so much because i have been handed so many small children <laughs> in my life it's hey could you watch them for a moment right and thankfully she's not given the opportunity she's Thank just God. like he's just like no we're gonna find somebody else and he's like i know exactly where to go 
I talked before about preconceived notions in our world versus the Star Wars universe. And fortunately, it does not seem to be a thing in the Star Wars universe that, oh, we're going to hand the kid off to the one lady that happens to be around. Right. They go, oh, no, we need... There's a de facto kind of thing that it does kind of eke out that way. Is it in episode five with uh, Amy Sedaris's character? But that's yeah. kind of accidental. She that's she, accidental. Right, accidental goes, babysitting. Oh, yeah. Look at the and, baby. And she's not really maternal at first. It's more, I'm gonna take care of the baby oh, yeah. and then charge Mando right. more for it's it. It's more of a like a, a smart thing. She's like she's not necessarily doing it out of a loving nature kind of thing. She's doing it out of a, ooh, I can make a quick buck this way, you know. So it's kind of more insidious in that way, but. I'm not saying I haven't done something like that before in my life. I was going to say, now that you brought um, Amy Sedaris up, my question is, why does he go to Arizona to draw, to talk to Quill instead of going to Tatooine and giving the baby to Amy Sedaris? Like, why doesn't he get her? Because she's going to charge him. Because she sent him an invoice. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to get the baby back and he's also going to get a three-page invoice. No, she'd happily do it, but... Right, but she'll charge. Whereas Quill gonna, obviously does think awesome. out of the goodness of his heart. Amy Sedaris, she's 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 a pretty high-build like, actress. Like She's been around doing stuff for a while, so maybe they could only get her for so much. I, You know, that's true. It could be a weird thing. Because Qu- the Quill character is actually played by... Uh, uh, funny funny enough, is actually played by a woman. Um, no, voiced, you don't say. Voiced by a man. Um so you kind of have like a duality there, but um, it's just a, you know, a stunt person essentially. So mm-hmm. they can kind of get her to do whatever. And they do get her to do multiple roles um, throughout the series as we continue. Mm-hmm. But because um, after this episode, she no longer plays the Quill character, but she does play a different character in the second season, which once we get there, we'll uh, mention it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so she has like a starring role in the second season as well. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because also, fun fact, that same character shows up in the first season in the background. Um, there's an Easter egg for you to go oh, look for. Oh, I know who you're talking about, <laughs> but we're not going to delve into right, that. Right, we can't yet. go into it too much, um, but we'll get to it later. Um, so we, like I said, we fly to Arizona um, to talk to Quill. And uh, once we get to the farm, the cow farm, um, we <laughs> uh, they discuss with Quill something very interesting about the child. It's such a fucking beautiful shot outside of his Mm -hmm. place where the sun Mm -hmm. setting in the background, like it gave me like Revenge of the Sith Mm. dropping uh, Luke off at Owen and Beru's vibe. Like for some reason that shot just stuck out to me as being like this gorgeous shot. Interesting. It's a it's a beautiful the way it's filmed rather, uh, the planet is just very beautiful to look at, I think. Like you said about the lava flats, it's it's just so such a neat little geological touch to creating this planet and this setting. It's so cool to look at that and with the the sun setting, it, it, it's it's neat. It's just neat. I wanted to bring up their conversation because Quill says something very interesting about the child. He goes, well, he hasn't grown very much since I last saw him, which I mean, timeline wise, this can't be more than a couple weeks, right? 
Yeah, and he like <laughs> they're they're discussing whether or not he might be a strand cast. Right, which is the and first which, mention of that in all of Star Wars. Which I I have it written down here. Like I was confused what that was. I didn't mm-hmm. know if I that was guess. like a, a clone or I think they're uh, referring to DNA strands. A oh. strand cast. I actually thankfully we record this episode these episodes in front of the computer and i have a dual monitor now so i could actually look up a strand cast per wikipedia uh the only valid information source is a bioengineered organism so it's not a clone per se it is something that that is is grown in a vat so the example that they use as the best example of what a strand cast actually is Mm -hmm. is snoke oh my god spoiler alert snoke is a strand cast so he is gotcha yeah i'm gonna casually spoil this for you all of your (laughs) snoke theories were wrong (laughs) grown in a vat he's a test tube baby gotcha i'm hearing all i'm hearing from this is that Baby Yoda's a GMO. He is not a GMO. He's a chicken nugget. They think he might be a GMO, but he is not a GMO. Yeah, because Quill says he's too ugly to be uh, artificial. Genetic modification, like dogs evolved. Right. We've just modified them a wee bit. That's a good explanation because it's like kind of like, uh, you know, the difference between a Great Dane and a Chihuahua. The DNA is for the most part the exact same, just yeah, right. So it's just minus a few tiny little modifications, which we have outbred over time. So you kind of like change the the shape of them. I mean, you could say the same thing for that's probably why he thinks that Baby Yoda is the way it is because it's like he's so little and he's basically a chihuahua so like what what did the you know what did the wolf version of yoda look like versus the chihuahua version yeah so they they basically decide that he's not one of these strand casts that that he wasn't grown in a vat that we don't know what he is or or where he's from but he was probably not grown in a vial like our buddy snoke again spoiler for Sorry, Kyle, if you're listening to this, uh, we oh, yeah, did spoil <laughs> Rise of Skywalker for you. It turns out Snoke was grown in like a, a test tube. Um, do you think that they they brought this up because people were starting to be like, oh, he's a clone of Yoda. He's a clone of Yoda. And so that's what they were just trying to be like, no, he's just his own thing. Don't worry about it. Like, no, because they filmed this, they filmed it all like together, so they wouldn't have had time to address it. I think it's one of those things like something else that comes up later in the episode. Oh, okay. I think it was something because this was filmed concurrently with Rise or developed concurrently with Rise of Skywalker. Mm. It's something that they probably knew from the Rise of Skywalker script and production was a thing they were introducing uh, and went, okay. oh, that's cool. We kind of want to reference that in our show the idea of the the growing the organisms from scratch like they do with snoke and apparently ray's father is also technically a strand cast he's a modified clone oh i didn't get that from the movie uh yeah it's not in the movie um Uh it was in some stupid legends uh side comic or something 
Uh, it was it was in the book. The novelization of the movie was where they uh, first mentioned that. That does expand you know, the movies a little bit. Palpatine, so. Palpatine, Palpatine does not fuck. Okay, well I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. I also disagree. So glad with you this. cleared that up. Thank you. <laughs> but they apparently felt the need to mention that Sheev does not fuck. No, he now, does. He has sex. I know it. <laughs> now I choose to believe that she fucks. Yes, because. That is just a thing that I have decided to accept in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to pry that out of my brain. Fucks but does not produce progeny, perhaps. <laughs> not into that sort of... Ooh, right. Maybe we can have it both ways. Well, I guess canonically then, like, his son fucks, though, because obviously... Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously we have a natural-born child, so... His son is the sheave that fucks. Right, Exactly. There it you skips go. a generation sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it skips a generation. Star exactly. Wars. Right. It makes sense. Wait, if it skips a generation, that means Rey does not fuck. I mean, she is a Jedi. Ah, but didn't you just tell me recently yes. that according to some dumb book that you just read that Jedi are yes. allowed to fuck? Yes. According to uh, Light of the Jedi, which I just finished, which is a fucking amazing book. Uh, and then it is addressed in more detail in Into the Dark, which is the young adult uh, tie-in for uh, the High Republic. They explicitly state that Jedi are allowed to fuck. They're just not allowed to develop feelings, uh, which shocked me. One, that they explicitly address that in media. Uh, and two, that means every gay man in Atlanta is technically qualified to be a Jedi. Yeah, sounds about right. I was gonna say we got to move on because we're getting uh, we're not even halfway through this thing. Um, oh so <laughs> their conversation gets interrupted because oh my gosh, IG Eleven is back and he brought us tea. Yep. <laughs> they, they, I knew they hired Taika Waititi for more than just one episode. So yeah, I love that he's still on the show. There's more child rearing themes here. He's retrained and genetic themes here. He's retrained a wolf into a labradoodle. And that's great. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, he went from killer to caretaker. They they domesticated the IG unit. Yeah, I said uh, my note I wrote down, Quill brought him back to life with love. I had it noted as a nice little (laughs) physical therapy. Oh yeah, that was, yeah, that's true. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I, I love the way that uh, Quill brings it up as like, yeah, you left a mess and there was all this stuff behind. I had to pick up your mess mm-hmm. and this was left behind. And you know what? It's useful. Waste not, want not. This was an honest salvage. <laughs> According <laughs> to the charter of the new Republic, he had to like defend shit his mind now. Yeah, he, he's like, like he's arguing it in court. I love that um, because um, he uh, yeah. he also brings up a very interesting thing in the universe now. So now that means that based on this premise that this droid was reprogrammed to be a babysitter, basically, you or he even said he's like, I can program him to be a caretaker. I can program him to do whatever I want. So that means that theoretically, any droid in the whole entire universe can be any other type of droid. So. Like, for example, BB-8 can be programmed to be an assassin droid, theoretically. 
the way I interpreted that was because we saw how absolutely busted uh, this droid was. Mm-hmm. And it made me think of like, you know, if you throw a computer out the window and the chassis <laughs> is still in, in shape, you can just chuck in a SSD and a, a graphics card and sound card and everything and build it from the inside out to be a whole new thing. Right. It just looks the same on the outside. And with it, the droid being, re- like, it's no longer a battle droid. It doesn't have that wiring anymore. But butlering and child rearing, that's, it, it's, that's something, it's like adding a new program onto the said computer. Like, right. okay, it looks like a Mac. It's not a Mac anymore. <laughs> It's Windows under under the under the under hood. The hood. <laughs> and yes, I can indeed. I I can put games on it if you need me to. Right. You know what? What it reminded me of it. It reminded me of Big Hero Six. Mm. It reminded me of of when he puts the karate chip in Baymax right. to make Baymax into a fighter robot, right? Instead of just a a caretaker robot. Yeah, he kind of co-ops it. I actually remember when the poster for Rise of Skywalker came out and on one of the posters, C-3PO was wearing uh, Chewbacca's bandolier and holding the bowcaster and had like Ray's staff or something or a staff or something on his back. And we were like, oh man, C-3PO is about to go ham. This thing is about to finally snap. And just start blasting stormtroopers. Right. And that did not happen. Uh, he just carries it at one point in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I was I was a little sad. Well, not to go into too much detail, but Disney's not uh, the best when it comes to uh, marketing their new Star Wars movies as something that may happen in the movie and then doesn't really come yeah. to fruition later on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Uh-oh. yeah. Disney's Disney's marketing team needs to go home and and rethink their life mm-hmm. <laughs> that, is, that is my take the, on that it was in the marketing material so you think that's gonna be in the film oh honey no right <laughs> oh. clearly clearly you've never seen a, a jj abrams mystery box joint before yeah i was gonna say uh that he's very notorious for that so so I like how Quill's like conditions that he's coming uh, on this trip with Mando, other than the fact that he's got his new babysitter robot. He goes, the cows are coming with me. <laughs> that made perfect sense to me, actually. Yeah. Y'all ever been on a farm that has livestock? No. Oh, no. Oh, I mean, for uh, like five minutes. Yeah. When I was a kid. My cousin owns a farm with her husband in Florida, but I've never been. Okay, so if you, my granddad had cattle, so if you just leave the cattle, especially in the setting that Quill seems to be on, that's how your cattle gets stolen. Yeah, I see. (laughs) Also, someone's got to feed them, and they're going to be a snack for some kind of, kind of, whatever kind of monster roams around that planet, like. Mudhorns. There we go. There we go. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they eat lurks. But yeah, that that's that's how you, you it's just setting up a big old science says cow rustlers, blurg rustlers, come and get it. <laughs> like the blurg come with me. 
this is how I protect my innards. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, it's kind of like his, not, I mean, I keep saying cows, but it's basically, they're like his they're cats. Cows. Like, they're like, he's got to take them with, you know, he's, he's got to take his puppies with him, you know, otherwise they'll cows. go hungry. <laughs> they, I mean, yeah, you have to feed cows too. Yeah. So. I mean, I, that's fair. Have been um, present during the feeding of cows. So, he, can't yeah, confirm, I, you got to do it. Well, I want to point out oh. two things, two small things that I noticed in this oh, sequence. What, what did you notice? I, I noticed a little Easter egg. There's a lot of like tiny little references in this episode or, you know, references to other things that are kind of in the background. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones I noticed is when Kuil is putting the IG unit back together, the part of the shielding of his workshop is a TIE fighter not the window in the front, but the window frame. So the glasses or the plexiglass has been removed, but he's using the frame as part of this in the background. That was one thing I noticed. I also want to shout out uh, Mando's body language when he goes through the whole scene with Kuil, where he's trying to convince him to go. Super impressive acting because he like you can feel when he gets frustrated when he gets resigned just by the way that the the whoever is inside the armor for that particular scene mm -hmm. oh how I don't, they I don't, move yeah i don't know if it's him or not because you know like i said uh that whole one episode you know he wasn't even in the suit so who knows who's in the suit at that point but you never know i imagine a stunt actor would also just be fantastic at physical acting because that's their whole job. I mean, it's right, 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 actor. right. Like, and you can tell how good they are in this role. So we're back on the ship, um, and Kara and Mando are just casually having an arm wrestling competition, as one does when they're bored on a ship. As you do. Um, and so cute. Baby Yoda thinks that Kara is hurting Mando by beating him in this uh, arm wrestling competition. <laughs> I okay. First of all, come on. Y'all ever been just bored and arm wrestling? You end up arm wrestling with someone. It happens. No, we're gay men. Yeah, I've never done that before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we when we get bored we drink mimosas and complain about people we know right mostly it was a thing when i was a kid like it made me think back to being like in like i don't know freaking middle school or high school and you're not allowed to have electronics and you've just been sitting in this fucking room for i don't know two or three hours for one reason or another and there's nothing to do they won't let you have cards because that's how you you might start gambling so you just end up arm wrestling <laughs> oh well okay that's fair uh, bradley but, who who do you think would win in an arm wrestle you or me um well since i actually go to the gym and work out i'm gonna say me uh i also work out and the only reason i don't go to the gym is because i live in downtown los angeles so i'm actually gonna go man. with me it's not all about who's strongest okay well then i'm smarter so i guess that means i win right <laughs> I have more useless Star Wars trivia. Uh, my arm wrestling strategy is that I'm hypermobile, and so I just let people keep pushing my arm back like this until my wrist bends back and it doesn't do anything. Oh, God. This is a thing we're going to have to determine 
at some point. Uh, right. Once we get Bradley and I in the same room again, we're going to have to determine who who would actually win oh, in an arm wrestling match. Uh, that is the most important thing. That is the most important thing that we need to know. Between this and finding out who's closer to John Favreau and the six degrees of separation, right. apparently we have some science experiments to run. Forward me the report uh, <laughs> once once you run the... So Baby Yoda starts choking out Kara. Mm. And I thought this was really interesting because it was like, he doesn't just like, like the I don't know if it was the animation or the CG or whatever they did with it, but the way they made him choke her out, like it looked really good. Like it was almost like, like baby Anakin or something. Like it was very like, like I'm going to get like, he, I don't know what it was. It was so cool. I'd like to note here there is some controversy around the force choke yeah because the force choke legends media and games in particular had a nasty habit of conflating light side and dark side force patterns and can like come i don't want to say conflating maybe segmenting things into light side or dark side powers Uh, yeah whereas a lot of uses of the force aren't necessarily quote-unquote light side or quote-unquote dark side abilities we see luke in return of the jedi use the force choke on the gamorreans Mm -hmm. now in the context of the film it's supposed to set up the fact that luke might turn to the dark side Mm -hmm. over the course of the movie but the fact remains he does use it it's not specifically a dark side ability Right. All it is is just using the force to constrict someone's throat. It's just telekinesis. Which is just telekinesis. Right. Which everybody in who's a force user has for the most part. So mm-hmm. I don't yeah. I, yeah, I don't see that as like a dark side power. I think if you use it incorrectly, then yes, that is a dark side ability, I guess, but it's not a like there's no distinguishing feature between choking somebody and using telekinesis. So it's kind of like yeah. it's how you use it. The mind trick is way more fucked up than yeah. anything right. anything dark side power that I've seen. The mind trick is is way more fucked up. In fact, in the High Republic, they have to like call it like a mind touch to try to distance Ooh. away from how kind of squicky the the whole concept of the mind trick is. Ooh, I don't like mind touch. That makes it worse for me. Mind touch. Yeah, I don't like. No, that. they call it the mind touch. I was so surprised to after watching the episode for the first time and finding that there was this whole controversy over oh is he like a a bad force user or a good force user right because it's it's a child yeah he doesn't he doesn't know yet right he doesn't know anything if you do something kind of fucked up in front of a kid they'll do it because monkey see monkey do right it's like, like in front of a kid. Like, <laughs> they, they're not going to know what the word shit means. No. They're right. just going to drop it in front of grandma and no idea, you know, why what they're saying is so bad. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot, honestly, of my dog <laughs> and uh, the mm. fact that, uh, well, for one thing, she's so dumb. I love her, but she's so dumb. Um, First of all, if you do, if you encourage a, a certain kind of behavior, 
it happens. I don't have children, obviously. This is why I'm using dogs as an example. <laughs> right. If you encourage, if you don't like somehow make it clear to a child or a small animal, this is a, this is a, this is a no-no and this is an okay thing. This, this kid has been around a lot of violence and yeah. seen a lot of violence happening. He doesn't know that this isn't something you're not supposed to do. And he's so small. Right. You work with what you're given. No, I think he's uh, learning. And I think that's right. He doesn't know right from wrong yet to an extent. Um, he is 50 years old, so he does kind of know right from wrong. I mean, my dog is about 13, but she's not, <laughs> uh, she doesn't have the same. That's true. We don't, we don't know the. Going on as a 13 year old child. We don't, you're right. We don't know the development, uh, process of a 50 year old alien so we don't know how advanced his cognitive abilities are or what he's seen in his lifetime to distinguish yeah. right from wrong so even mm -hmm. though we do no we don't never mind uh i don't want to spoil anything from season two so we don't actually know anything about him right now um, we, know we know nothing nothing at all um so yeah basically moving on he needs a new crib um quill's like i can do that like, you know, uh, what, what's the movie? Holes. He's, I can fix that. He's like, I can fix that. <laughs> I can do that. That's what I was getting makes, from this scene. I like the point he makes to Cara Dune. Like, I have skills and maybe some of you haven't worked a day in your life. But right. No, it's true. It's a, it's, he is, Quill has such mom energy. Yeah. <laughs> he has such mom energy. Just. I love it. I'm very disappointed in all of you it's fine it's fine no leave it i'll i've got it I, I've got i'll do it. i'll get the care. dishes it's fine nobody <laughs> helps me around here but uh so we get to navarro and um we meet grief carga outside with his uh posse and i noted that grief carga only owns one shirt and now it has a bullet hole in it um <laughs> so he's stuck with that shirt forever obviously that's kind of a, a little if you think about it, it's a little bit of a Chekhov's gun, maybe, that he doesn't have as much control over things as he you might think he does. Right. What yeah. I liked was this scene essentially answered a question we had from the last episode. Um, Aaron has not listened to it because at time of recording, it is not yet out. Oh, okay. uh, but I theorized in the last episode with Zero, the droid, that Zero knew that Mando was the Mandalorian from the bounty hunters guild but that zero had not seen the child during the escape and therefore did not know what the asset was in question and that's why zero is digging through the comm logs on the razor crest to try to figure out what the asset might have been that mando skipped town with mm -hmm. this scene confirms that grief carga up through that whole shootout and into this moment does did not get a good look at the child did not know what the child looked like right so that answers that question that i had from the last episode that no nobody really saw the child during the escape they don't necessarily know what the asset is they only know that mando skipped town with it gotcha yeah, because he says something along the lines of like, uh, let me get a good look at it. Like, and then he picks it up and he looks at the, the baby and he goes, oh, okay. Now I see why. 
that's what all the fuss is about. Okay. Right. Yeah, you're right. He is cute. Yeah. Yeah. He looks at maybe Yoda and has the correct reaction. Right. <laughs> oh. Yeah. He also looks at the baby too because he's like, he's like, huh. He's like, this is probably for somebody's like private collection. They want like some weird ass, like they collect weird ass animals and like this like is like sugar gliders. Yeah, exactly. That's like this looking. happens a lot. This happens a lot in the Star Wars universe. In Force Awakens, Han Solo is uh, hauling Rathars right. for King Prana. Uh, and then also in, uh, once again, Light of the Jedi that I just read, they talk about a story where a transport took a rare giant fish to a planet for some noble woman's private menagerie. And when the fish got sick because they didn't know how to take care of it, this particular noblewoman actually paid to fly the fish back to its home planet as opposed to simply letting it die. So this is a, which is apparently considered unusual. So this is just a thing in the Star Wars universe that rich people have menageries and buy things for them all of the time. Mm. Again, nothing that's ever happened in real life. No, there's no historical precedent for this whatsoever. Um, not at all so the only other thing i had for this scene was that uh mando's crew is not walking (laughs) they are like we are gonna take the cows and we're gonna ride the cows the whole way you guys can walk which is fine (laughs) you guys do you but we're walking to town we're not gonna we're not gonna walk to town we're gonna take the cows you can get your steps in right frankly you need to lose a little weight uh but we're fine we're gonna stay on the blurgs exactly I like that it literally makes them taller than mm. uh, grief guarding this it's 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 such a power move like yeah being able to look down and be like all right we're here yeah we're here this is the plan all right uh it's like walking in in yeah. heels mm-hmm. yeah yeah to a certain extent or you know to lean into the western theme riding in on horseback yeah i mean that's kind of what it was yeah they kind of rode into town i mean they're not in a town but it's kind of the whole idea of that like the outsiders are riding into town on their horses and then the people are confronting them at the edge of town kind of thing so it's kind of one of the like like the sheriff is confronting the the other guys you know on horseback there is some mexican standoff energy happening right i noticed in the scene uh like people point out Cara Dune's arm tattoo. I didn't actually notice that she had a facial tattoo until mm. y'all pointed it out. Oh, interesting. And my eyesight is probably just not very good. Gotcha. But... Yeah, I don't know if it's very clear in the show or not, but I think that, so there's, she has two tattoos. She has her armband tattoo mm-hmm. and then she has her face tattoo, which is like a teardrop, but it's the rebel insignia. The rebel alliance. Um, so I think, I don't think that the Rebel Insignia one is the one that gives her away. I think that one's just kind of like a, more of that's like the fun tattoo. And then the one on her arm though, is the one that denotes like, no, I am in the army. Like this is something that like is, we have to get cause it's a, like a symbol of our allegiance or some kind of whatever, you know. Interesting that they would yeah. tattoo it onto her in a way that she can't remove. Right. So I have a thought about that military dudes just liking tattoos of, yeah. the, of their of shit about their, their stuff. unit their unit or right. like the the insignias and such like that it it's a thing my 
way of kind of rationalizing why would she put it on her face where it's hard to cover mm-hmm. up and she doesn't cover it up uh she was an infiltrator and she 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 was infantry for one thing she was doing ground combat you know that saying fire when you see the whites of their eyes yes from bunker hill from well from life from a lot of things but i remember <laughs> it as being uh from bunker bunker hill the battle of bunker hill during the american revolution when they were conserving ammo it, yeah fair, fair point uh i think uh she doesn't feel the need to cover that up because if somebody's going to be an issue like they'd have to get close enough to actually see it and it she doesn't let she don't let people that close ah okay i see yeah i i guess that is a good point because like you're right if she she's not going to be like talking to somebody to the point where she's going to be like hey how's it going like here's my you know my whole deal she's going to be very kind of in the shadows kind of thing anyway so it doesn't really matter yeah and that's how she's introduced right you know yeah she's off to the side at the bar she's kind of just staring and you know and like he no one knows until he gets up close and personal and he realizes so strider in a in a fellowship of the ring style there in the corner of the bar mysterious but yeah that was uh that was all i had to say about the the tattoos i just had gotcha that was my theory uh, no that's that's good more thought than i think maybe the showrunners put into it well well then they go and she you know she does cover it up so arm tattoo yeah right right so because she has to um because that's what grief says he's like they're gonna know who she is the second they see her tattoo so he's like just at least cover up your body (laughs) telling telling a woman what to do obviously uh yeah i'm fine with uh covering up those biceps so i don't have the distraction It's (laughs) it's best for everybody involved well after uh, he tells a woman to cover her body, um, they move on to having s'mores um, at, by the campfire in the next scene. Um, I've where... noted here that this reminds me of the campfire scene from Solo, but like a darker version. Yeah. Literally, it is super dark and I can't. You can't see anything. Can't see anything in this scene. I love that um, Quill is feeding the baby just like just meat he's just like here here he's like feeding it like a cat or something like he's kind of like here you go here's a little piece of this here's a little piece of this he's like he'll eat anything me with my dog right <laughs> like here you go here you go you can have a little bit you want a little bit more okay you're a good boy you know like that's what he was doing the whole time it was just hilarious you want an orange you want some orange right you get some more. okay you get some <laughs> yeah oh you're so cute you can have some more of my food yes you can um, and then I also like how this scene leaves he- uh, leans heavily into the trope of like, um, so Grief says, you know, while they're talking about, you know, everything, he basically just says, oh, nothing can go wrong. Oh, Which I is love it, that. Is immediately followed by they get attacked by Drogon. Like Carl Weathers walks us into that, like, <laughs> like a soothing hot tub yeah. being blasted by a fire hose. <laughs> nothing can go wrong just like he's reassuring them like it's fine it's all gonna be fine it's good don't worry about it nothing can go wrong boom and then he gets attacked by uh drogon from game of thrones um and i thought my nox right i thought that was weird i was like what how much fucking wildlife is on this goddamn planet it's a lava planet like and it's got all these different things we just saw they're eating a goat that they just saw and then now they're being attacked by these giant dragon bat things. Like, what the hell? 
So I live next to a volcano. Yes. Random uh, facts. So you also have dragons. Um, we don't have dragons, but we got eagles and shit. We probably had some kind of big <laughs> flying thing back in the yeah. day. No, but plenty of things live near right. volcanoes, especially goats. Uh, they can climb them yeah. the mountains and shit. I because thought this was a fr- They yeah. crave that mineral. Right. They crave that mineral. <laughs> they crave that mineral, referencing an ancient, ancient meme that I just dated myself here. Um, I, I didn't want to go too heavy onto the uh, the dragons or whatever they are, but shocking, uh, the design of the dragon is based on a Ralph McQuarrie, blah, 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 blah. They just love taking these like old... They love Ralph McQuarrie. They love taking his stuff and just making it canon. Like, <laughs> I just thought it looked like a pterodactyl. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> okay, good. Then I'm on the right track. I don't know who that one, is. One bounty hunter uh, does get killed, which, you know, sucks Aww. for you, buddy. You should have had a name. Yeah. Oh, uh, well. But most notably, and Bradley knew I was going to bring this How up. How did I know you were going to bring this up? Rolls, he's rolling his eyes right now because he knows I'm going to bring it up. Literally uh, my next note. The flamethrower does something. Yes. It's, well, so I don't know if that. It- I don't know if it does something. I don't know if it just scares them away. It scares them off, which right. is technically uh, doing something and not fucking up. This is okay. Is, I'll give it to. The, I'll give him a point for working. This is the fourth, I think, instance of the flamethrower not being useless. Third or fourth instance of it not being completely useless. Gotcha. So we can we can add uh, dragons to the list of things the flamethrower works against. Cool. We have stormtroopers, bounty hunters, droids, and dragons. He uses it the way you'd use something like, I don't know, bear mace or a fire hose or something like that. Just to like put some distance between you and the thing. Like it might not kill it, but it feels bad. So you back away. Right. And And like, it's clearly evidenced from the fact that the fire is going out as the thing flies away, that it's mostly just scared and a little bit uh, injured by it. That, you know, he didn't take out the thing with the flamethrower. No, that's too much work for your supper. Right. Mm. Well, they do, they they did do a lot of work for their supper because they ate two fucking uh, cows or they took two cows during this whole sequence. Yeah, they, they, they were like, okay, we got our food. Which, again, poor Quill. Right. He's losing his children. <laughs> he has made his a loss on this investment. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a bad investment, buddy. This, yeah. was, this was not smart. He thought he made out mm-hmm. in like the second or, or what was it, the, the fifth or sixth episode, he was like, or the second or third episode, he was like, I got three of these cows, I got two of these cows, you know, whatever. And now he's got one left. And it's like, oh, Sitting that poor guy. With his inventory, like, all right, I have an invoice prepared for losses, losses uh, <laughs> sustained for damages. Um, right. He's going to call HR and be like, hey, you guys need to replace my cars. Um, yeah. So the, this next part is interesting. So these, these dragons or whatever they were um, also have poison somehow in their claws or teeth or something because grief's arm gets all fucked up um and i thought about that and kara's like somehow kara's also a medic um she just has the the med pack with her 
uh, I I actually think that would make perfect sense for someone who's ex-military. Just has like military, like just medical, kind of some kind of training yeah. or triage. Uh, tr- not necessarily triage, but kind of everybody gets that sort of like here's how you uh, dress something on the battlefield mm-hmm. to to stabilize to, it to stabilize. Got it. Out of there. Gotcha. And notably, none of these bounty hunters know what the fuck to do. <laughs> right, they're all Nobody like... Nobody brought a goddamn med pack. Right, they're all like, okay, we'll just let them die. <laughs> I love that uh, that grief, go, like when, when the child comes up to him, um, he goes, he's trying to eat me. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I was like, what? Where did you get that from? That was the most random line in this whole entire thing. The poison's a neurotoxin, maybe, and it's making him a little... I think so. It has to be, because it's just really it... funny. They but the child is the child is not trying to eat him. <gasps> what is he trying to do to no. him? Child extends a hand out and heals Grief Karga's wound right. in a very similar way to a movie that came out right around the same time as this. So I have a question about this. I wanted to I don't know the exact timing, but the dates, how do they align? So Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker, did they come out before this episode came out? I believe that Rise of Skywalker came out uh, just before this episode came out. Right. Let me double check this. Okay. Cause like I was noting that like this is very similar to the scene where Ray heals the snake or whatever in um that movie and which is a very interesting jedi power that we haven't technically seen this i am wrong this episode the reckoning premiered on december the 18th 2019 and rise of skywalker was released in the united states on december 20th interesting that so this sense. episode came out two days before Rise of Skywalker did. Really quickly establishing this is a thing in universe that can happen and right. all right, on the big screen. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting too because like in this scene, if we just take it at face value, um, we know that now the child has healing abilities, right? It's a force power that he just happens to have. In the movie, Ray having healing abilities is part of the whole fact that she's like this dyad in the force or whatever it's called. Um, no, not necessarily, because in the film, you know, she explains what she's doing and how she's doing it, where she's like studying the Jedi texts and she got it from there, or she got it from Leia but she's transferring some of her life essence into the snake thing. Right. And so this is something that clearly baby Yoda can do just innately. She had to learn how to do it. Right. But he's a child. He doesn't have the necessary learning. He acts almost entirely on impulse. Okay. So he's yes. just going in. He doesn't even realize what he's doing. Mm. He just sees heal. I want to heal it. And then he Got does. It. And he, he doesn't. He can choke you out. He can fix you. Right. He... No los dos. He's a Swiss army knife of, of babies. <laughs> he's got all the force powers. So does that mean we're going to see at some point lightning coming out of baby Yoda? 
hope yes, so. Please. <laughs> please, that sounds great. so cool. Do you think, I don't know, do you think that would ruin it? No. 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 Okay, that would I mean, be awesome. I actually, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love lightning powers. I think, actually, I feel like it was underused in Rise of Skywalker because it is a poignant scene in Rise of Skywalker where we get to see the lightning powers. Um, but it's only ever used there, really. And then Palpatine takes down a whole fleet. No, I'm talking with about lightning with, I'm talking powers. about with Ray. Oh, with um, Ray. Yeah, um, where she uses once it. once we find out that she has that ability, she never uses it again. So it's kind of like, well, in a traditional sense, she never uses it again. Um, so very it's a lot like Aang in in uh Avatar the Last Airbender trying out firebending for the first time and accidentally yes. injuring and, someone be like, "Oh shit." And this never using fire. it, right? Like, I would like to not don't <laughs> or being afraid there. of using it. Ray does think she accidentally killed Chewbacca, right? Yeah. Using her, I will her say when I powers. I will say when I watched that movie, I did audibly gasp when she did that, because um, <laughs> I did also believe that for a slight second, I did believe same. that. Um, it, yeah, same. That's why it's that's why it's in there. Same. Yeah, right? it's great. I love it. Um, now, obviously, since I've seen the movie, obviously I know that that's not what happened, but it does. I feel like they do do a good job in that movie of tricking you into thinking that that's what happen because you don't know there's a second transport you do if you're paying very close attention yeah but no one's you have to you have to actually like watch the movie (laughs) some of us have bad eyesight (laughs) right if you watch the movie uh now i didn't notice it on my first viewing i thought it it came out of nowhere Mm -hmm. but then when i watched it a second time because you you know i've i've seen it more than once I saw it and I went, oh, there are two transports. Gotcha. So it's justified. You're like, oh, wait a minute. I'm they like, did oh, show us. There it is. Gotcha. There it is. They did show us the the thing. Yeah. And of course, who among us hasn't, you know, gotten angry and accidentally destroyed something without realizing it? It's, right. it's relatable. Who who among us hasn't accidentally zapped things uh, with lightning when we got really pissed off? That might just be me. Well, hopefully we'll see it. I mean, I, I think it's possible. I, I would like to see it just because I think it's, I, I would like to see Baby Yoda do more stuff, you know? I mean, so we'll see if he ever does anything moving forward after Tucker's this episode, but we'll see. Um, it does Tucker him out. He had to sit right. down real hard after. He has a baby after all, so. This was the other thing besides the growing things in test tubes mm-hmm. that I felt like uh, the, the showrunners, John Favreau, and his writing team on The Mandalorian talking with Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams and going, oh, you're going to do force healing in Rise of Skywalker. We have a great way to use force healing in The Mandalorian. Right. And do some brand integration here of establishing that this is a thing that the Jedi can, in fact, do. Um, I think maybe you guys, that the reason I know this is because you guys pointed it out. I didn't know that... uh, uh, Greece Karga was supposed to die. Yes. So in the early, the first episode that he appears in, yes, he was supposed to die. So it's very interesting that they keep putting him in these perilous situations and he keeps getting like hurt or like almost dying and then like not dying. I thought, I do find that kind of interesting that they keep doing this whole like, oh, he's going to die now. Nope, he's just kidding. He's going Yeah. He's going on a journey ethically. Yes, he is. Well, and clearly this does do something to his psyche because as we're walking in the next scene um 
he randomly just turns around and shoots his own men and they're shocked that he's kind of quote unquote turned to their side it's a betrayal of a betrayal right it's a double cross it's so quintessentially western right yes it really is it really is that was i was thinking that the whole time watching it like oh yeah yeah this is very this was in the fistful of the dollar series yeah i remember this yeah this is standard (laughs) standard western trope of killing your own men double cross (laughs) we heard you like betrayals so we put a betrayal in your betrayal right i like how he has to go and explain like the betrayal of the betrayal (laughs) so he has to go like he's like no 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 i actually i'm betraying them because I now, I was going to betray you, but now I'm not going to betray you because I realized that after the baby just made me not die, um, that, you know, we can solve each other's problems another way and, and they, I'll be on your side. And they do lean, lead into it with having second thoughts, maybe. Right. Yes, he is. Yes. Just not the ones you think they're he's having. Right. Exactly. Different ones. <laughs> Two fun things in this scene that were not probably intentional references, but I thought were fun. Yes. Uh, Cara Dune does say it's a trap. I did write that down because it was so funny when she said that. And oh, it's a trap. The, cuffs, the cuffs that are first seen in Return of the Jedi, but it popped up several times hmm. in Star Wars media, do pop up here. Gotcha. Uh, the binder cuffs that are actually, no, I'm wrong. They first showed up in A New Hope. Right. Well, that's why. On Chewbacca. Well, when you say that, when you said that, see, I didn't even think of that as a reference because, again, we get to the whole it's thing. Just part is of it the a reference or part of the universe, right? It's so just, just part of the universe. But right. I saw them and I went, specifically the ones from Return of the Jedi that gotcha. um, they put on Luke, I went, oh, it's the same binder cuffs that they put mm-hmm. on him. In universe, are those just like the cheap handcuffs that are available? I guess so. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much. <laughs> Um, checks out right so we once they finally quote formulated a plan um they get a plan right quote they get to marks um they get to town take me prisoner just do it (laughs) right well they're they're like we're gonna do the prisoner gag it'll work perfectly Um, it has always worked perfectly so they hatch their little plan and then they uh head out and so they separate so we got grief and Kara and Mando going mm. into town with a pretend baby Yoda. And then you got um, Quill on his cow taking baby Yoda back to the ship. So basically they walked halfway and Quill's like, okay, I'll go back to the ship now. <laughs> they sent him back. Right. Mando's like, go back. And I'm like, no, I don't, don't think separate. you should go alone. <laughs> don't go alone. Right. Exactly. But they come up to town and they see the cops chilling on their bikes um, in the front of the town. <laughs> I didn't make the connection that these were the quote-unquote scout troopers that we will see in the next episode until so, re-watching right. it for this. I went, oh, oh, these are the, the random scout troopers right. that well, are going to be in one of the best scenes in the show. Well, one of them is. Um, I, I guess it's implied that they both are because only one of them talks. But um, Only one talks, yeah. So I think the other one is just an extra. But this guy, so the main the main one is played by um, an actor named Adam pa- um, Pally, who you may know or may not know um, from a series called Happy Endings. 
and that was just what I knew him from. But he's been in a ton of other things. He was recently in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. He's you know he's just a comedian kind of actor. He's just a funny guy. But I just know him from that. Yeah, if you want to look him up, his name is Adam Pally. If you if you look him up, you'll be like, oh, that guy. Yeah, I got him. I think he's also he was also in the um, the Mindy Project. He was uh, really funny in that too. Um, they cast a lot of comedians in this i know who that is okay yeah he was that one doctor in the mini project okay yeah see you'd recognize him if you saw him you just might not know his name so yeah but he's that's the random scout trooper played by him this scene he is in the next episode but he's not the feature one in the next episode that's a different person we'll get to whenever we get to that but um because because he was in a movie that i really liked that i really want to plug gotcha okay we'll well, get we'll get there when we get there right um so they kind of have a little conversation with uh, this scout trooper guy, and then they move on to the rest of the town, which is covered with stormtroopers. You said four. Right. They're like, oh, this is not four. <laughs> I, I think you may have misled us slightly right. on this. Which, of course, I mean, we know that this guy is some kind of higher up and whatnot. And yeah. Uh, of course he's going to travel with this many people. Mm-hmm. Of course he is. Exactly. Yeah, because once we... Oh, he I only mean, brings one fire team. No. No, no, no. I mean, because yeah. like he said, the he's like, well, the, he's like, the client has four surrounding him. So he, I guess when they get to him, they are like, look, see, I said, there's only four in the room. You know, that's fine. Which then in, in, in the second they get there, two more walk in or something. <laughs> yeah, the thing about fire teams as they're used in like I, I i don't know if that's supposed to be a specific title within universe but i know that in real life fire teams work best when you have a bunch of them right <laughs> and they all coordinate with each other that's kind of how they work so yeah it makes sense that there's all these dudes here mm-hmm. and i love that um with them. i love that werner herzog is just like this super fancy talker like the the libation line that can I oh offer you God. a libation to celebrate <laughs> the conclusion of our shared narrative I... is one of the greatest lines I've ever heard in my entire life. It is I... beautiful. It's so good. The only thing better than an evil Brit is a Brit playing an evil German. And the only thing better than that is this. He, I, I get such Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter vibes from him in this scene. Mm, yes. Can I offer you a libation to celebrate the close of our shared narrative? Perhaps a nice Chianti. Yeah, it's it's almost like this. It's almost like exactly what he said, and he even has his own little personal, um, uh, what is it, bartender, which is like a, also mm-hmm. a uh, imperial droid, right, from the movie. It's like yeah. uh, it's a similar uh, and, model, and from Rebels, right? Um, which, by the way, that uh, what what kind of droid is that? It's a it's just like this. It's the evil version of C three PO, right? Yeah, it's it's the Empire's version of like a protocol droid. Although they gotcha. do have them, they do have like right. black and silver protocol droids. But those droids were mainly for like maintenance and right. like logistics and things like that. Gotcha. Um, so it's funny that it's a bartender now, whereas the only time we know, at least a character wise, we know of one 
it's uh, a, like a statistician or something. Like it statistician keeps, or statistician, right? It's like a logistics coordinator, right? And now it's rebels. bartending. <laughs> Stuff can do two things, right? It's. I just find it interesting. You can reprogram a droid to do whatever you like, want. Clearly, you can. Um, I love that they do the whole thing where he's like, "Let me see the child," and he's like, "No, he's sleeping." No, let me but he's like but just let me look at it and he's like no 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 we can't he's like oh well lucky for you i have to take a phone call so i'm not gonna look like you would still look before they they do that Werner Herzog gives a gross oversimplification mm. of the rebellion on mandalore but also remember we were talking before i mentioned you know this is how the first order rose and it, it rose by improminence by promising systems and promising groups of people order and security Werner Herzog, they've said that this show is going to explore the origins of the First Order. Part of that is Werner Herzog, what he says in this episode, which he says, look around you, has life actually gotten any better since the revolution? Because mm -hmm. I don't see that. I only see death and chaos. Gotcha. So specifically, he says, is the world outside more peaceful since the revolution and all i could think when he says that is well all your fellows are the ones outside so <laughs> right but yeah all this I... is this was a justification used uh in the lead up to world war ii in the united states in the united states there were mostly like uh politicians big businessmen such like that looking at the the just chaos during the great depression and going this is a mess we need a dictator that is just really well played, well done scene right there. Just the, he believes this. He believes this. You can tell. Yeah, Charles, I think this feeds into your whole theory that the better story um, of what the New Republic is, is that they have to do the same exact things that the Empire did to kind of keep everything stable. And that that would have been a better storyline uh, that, you know, the, the good guys turn into the bad guys, not the good guys are still the good guys and then just bad new bad guys come, you know? Yeah, and, and they may be going that direction to an extent with mm -hmm. the intervening stuff showing why the New Republic was so toothless and how that affected the galaxy. I've mentioned before that, like, I feel like the sequels will get less of a bad rap once people like Dave Filoni are able to come in and fill in the gaps the way that Clone Wars kind of retroactively made right. the prequels a little more understandable in the context of the broader narrative. So I think we're starting to see that, you know, yeah. with the New Republic, that the New Republic, that the, the idea of going back to the way it was, but also trying to prevent the Empire from rising again just led to the empire rising again and we're going to see in a little more detail beyond just the aftermath books and the tie-ins while the movies were coming out how and why particularly for people who don't know how to read which i'm sure you know right sucks for those people because they missed out on uh the gay alcoholic imperial ex-torturer uh from the aftermath books but Whatever, they can live in, in their dark, sad little lives. Non-canon. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Grief has to take a phone call. 
Um, uh, not grief. Uh, the, the or, I'm sorry. Client the, the, client, the, client. The, the client has to take a phone call before they celebrate, um, which I thought was so funny. He was just like, lucky for you, I have to take a phone call. Like, <laughs> okay, great. I've creepily stroked your armor. Right. I've given you my my, my weird manifesto. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really strange. He's such a good villain. Show me the baby. Oh, I have to take a phone call. Right. <laughs> um, in fairness, when we see who it is that he is taking the phone call from, right. it becomes immediately obvious why he needs to take this call. Right. I gotta talk to my boss real quick. Right, exactly. And which is, which is we, we know that he did have a higher power that he answered to. We just didn't know who it was yet. So now we finally get to meet, I don't want to say the, the, the big bad of the season, but the, just the, the boss, the real boss of the whole situation, the real villain the whole, behind everything. It's not Palpatine. Like, thank God. Surprisingly. <laughs> um, no, it Such is. Uh, yeah, this is a, it's interesting too that this is the first appearance of this character is a hologram and not them physically. I forgot that they actually showed the hologram of him on screen. Yeah. I was under, in my memory, he first shows up later on. Right. But we do see him via hologram. Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito. Um, yes, we know him from lots of things. Uh, <laughs> A lot. Funny enough, um, I, I, he, I know, I mean, well, most people would know him probably from Breaking Bad. Um, he was also in Westworld. Uh, he was also in uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, Last Holiday with Queen Latifah, randomly. He's in that movie. Um, most he, recently, he's in The Boys, playing okay. a very similar I role. I didn't even write that down. There were so many things that I was picking from him. Like, um, So yes, he's in The Boys. Uh, he's in the new Harley Quinn show. Um, he does the voice of Lex Luthor in the new Harley Quinn show, which if you haven't seen is hilarious. He clearly, he's in like the new, I think it's Far Cry oh, game that's going to come out where he plays like a dictator. Interesting. Uh, clearly clearly this man has a role that he's very good at and enjoys playing right and people keep casting him to play this role and he's just so good at it how does El how did ellen rickman put it i don't play bad guys i play very interesting characters yeah, i think no, it was christopher lee who said i don't play villains i play people yeah well he plays a lot of people because he's in almost everything um but funny enough he almost almost meets our disney trifecta and funny enough both of those two the two things that he is in are both john favreau projects um which i also did not know until just now oh uh, i what else was he in so for his obviously for his star wars thing he was in this right mm -hmm. for his um disney thing he was in the jungle book the new one that John Favreau uh, helped with. Um, so John Favreau obviously did uh, helped with, right? You know, he he assisted with this production in some small, <laughs> small, minor... small kind of way, um, which is why they gave him the Lion King. Um, <laughs> but so he does, you know, he did the Jungle Book. I he does, I I didn't write down what voice he did in the Jungle Book, but he was a voice in the Jungle Book. 
Um, it was, I believe it's one of the wolves um, in Mowgli's family or something. Um, but so he's in so, that for Disney. So he's in the Jungle Book for Disney. He's in the Mandalorian for Star Wars. Now we just need to get him in the Marvel thing. And then he meets the same trifecta that Ming Nongwei meets. So, so close. Yeah. So close. So close. <laughs> just, just cast him in something. Make uh, him, make him the villain of, I don't know, uh, one of the new shows or something, or right. get him in a movie for like five minutes being a smug corporate jerk. I was going to say, side note, he technically was already in a Disney thing before the Jungle Book. He was in uh, Once Upon a Time. Um, and he oh, plays yeah. he plays the mirror um, in the Magic Mirror. Uh, yeah. or That's side not a real character. show. It is technically that a real show. That didn't happen. And guess what? That was also, the show was also made by the guys who uh, did Lost. So... There's the J.J. Abrams connection because oh, God. it's Bad Robot. Everything's connected. Because Bad Robot made Once Upon a Time. So Moff Gideon rolls in like the party does not start until I walk in. Exactly. Because he actually was funny as he goes, he's like, do you have the asset? And then the client goes, no. Uh, he's like, yeah, of course I do. He's like, did you check? And he goes, he's like, uh, no, I didn't check, but I will. And he's like, oh, okay, that's all I needed to hear and proceeds to murder his own people. Like with death troopers, with death troopers, which is interesting. From Rogue One and the final season of Star Wars Rebels. Well, not only the fact that you said, I like how you said that Rogue One, because these are actually the exact same costumes from the Rogue One set because they flew them in from, uh, wherever, they were in storage and they used them on this set. <laughs> the big warehouse, I'm sure Disney keeps all of their right. costumes in. I have been actually to a costume exhibition for Star Wars and some of these are pretty impressive in person. And yeah. also a lot like smaller. Some of them are a lot smaller than I thought they'd be. And some mm -hmm. of them are a lot bigger than I thought they'd be. And Darth Vader is terrifying in person. One of the museums up here in Seattle uh, did have a wonderful Star Wars costuming exhibition. And they're just glorious and beautiful to look at. That's the one I think I went, I went to it in St. Petersburg uh, um, in Florida. But we got the Death Troopers, which is for Rogue One and Star Wars Rebels. We've got the Troop Transport, yep. which is a reference. In Rebels, it was a reference to another toy Right. Just like the robot from the last episode. And the new TIE Fighter is a reference to some unused concept art for, I believe it was The Force Awakens. Right. That it folds down. So we've got just bam, 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 all bam, these bam, references bam. to other things that you wouldn't get. It, like they're not blatantly obvious, but it's just like a string of references to right. stuff all in a row. It's kind of fun merchandising where the real <laughs> money from the movie is made right and actually what's funny enough is so like i said the death trooper costumes are reused from rogue one mm -hmm. um funny little fact here is that they didn't have enough extras to play all the stormtroopers so they got the 501st guys to come in and play all the extras uh of, of all the other stormtroopers so now um it's funny because uh uh, Dave Filoni said that now the 501st guys can say that their costumes are actually props, official Star Wars props from the set. 
because they were on set and their costumes now technically count as props. So <laughs> I wonder if if the the hot uh, what the one guy that we follow on Instagram now was in it probably not because he mostly does Mandalorians. Yeah, no, I don't think he's in the 501st. Yeah, I don't think he's in the 501st. Now, the 501st is very cool. I did mention it way back in either our pilot episode or our Mando episode zero. That is a very cool organization. I've gotten to, if you ever get to see some of their costumes like in person, they work really hard to make them look really good. So we get all that. Uh, Quill is still moving along on the cow. Uh, They keep kind of intercutting. Um, and now the bike troopers are headed after him, um, which I thought was uh, like, oh no, kind of, I got this like pit in the, my stomach was like, oh, um, this does not look good. Because <laughs> they're slowly catching up to him. And I, I thought about like this Moff Gideon character, he does this little like monologuing, but he's doing it in a way that he already knows what's happening. He's like just, he, he's doing it for the drama. Right. And I think it is because he is dramatic. He's got the cape. Yeah. So you, you, you we already have know, the cape. We already know he's dramatic because he has got the cape. He's got a folding TIE fighter. So that's dramatic. His entrance alone was dramatic because he kind of like flies in and then the wings fold. And then he's just like coming out of the top. He's like, you have no idea what you're up against. <laughs> like, you know, it's a very kind of, it's a very Star Wars entrance for yeah. one, coming in on the ship and then coming out of the ship and even making stepping up and out of the TIE fighter look menacing. Right. But it's also kind of this Western sort yes. of the bad guy rolls into town and steps right. out of his carriage and immediately, you know, the contrast oh. between him and the area around him is visually apparent. You're just waiting for the kind of music to come in in the background. Right. Your bad guy rolls in the town. It's like, all right, there ain't room in this town for both of us. Right. Uh, There's no room. There ain't room for you and me and the 50 (laughs) stormtroopers I brought with me. For this baby. (laughs) Yeah. And it's even, it's like very overkill too, because he's like, he doesn't need that many guys but he has them and then again another trope is that you know you have the heroes pinned down behind the bar i guess technically the shootout it's yeah a, it's, it's a, a shootout. shootout yeah it's um, the okay corral tombstone uh, right. style shootout at least the the media portrayed version of how that went down and i mean unless i missed it um we have mando you know yelling on the comm he's like hey quill are did you get the to the ship on time did you get the baby you know he's not answering and then they just kind of cut to the the talk uh, what is it the um the communicator is on the ground by itself com link is on the ground by itself and then we see a smoking corpse of quill lying on the ground and the uh, the bike trooper, or no, we saw the baby. I'm sorry, we saw the child just laying on the ground by himself. The storm, or the bike trooper, swooping up and just kind of grabbing him. And I was like, that's so sad. Um, if I understand it correctly, my impression too was that they intercepted their communication. Yep. And oh, uh, yeah, because okay. they start moving when they hear Mando like, "All right, get out of there," and they're like, "All right, we know where we're supposed no. to be." Oh, okay, I didn't catch that. I'm interested yeah. that you caught that. Okay, 
that makes more sense. I watched it like just the other day. So <laughs> <laughs> I watched it today and I still didn't even get that. Um, uh, I watched it like four, four or five hours ago and I did get it. Okay. Well, you're all smarter than me. Um, so yeah, yes, Qu- we know. so Quill we can is- read, we right. can see. <laughs> um, so Quill is dead, sad day. Um, how did you guys feel about that? I, I just, I was really sad because I did start to think like, okay, if they heavily marketed this guy on all the merchandising, all the toys, everything, this character of this Quill character, I'm like, he's got to be part of the main crew. Like he is going to stick around for at least two seasons, you know, cause it's just part of the thing. I thought it was a very brave choice on their part. Yeah. To, but looking at like the trajectory he kind of the way they presented him he didn't really have a lot of places to go as a character he had kind of finished his journey before the story started right and you know i I thought it was bold of them to kill him off you know obviously he was such a heavily merchandised character and there was a lot of potential there but in story which is what they really seem to care about with this show is telling a good story within the story when he was introduced he had already kind of gone through his arc and this was the sort of last job coming out of retirement sort of thing it made me sad when i saw it well that makes this worse because then he dies before he gets to retire (laughs) so you know how i said quill had mom energy yeah yes this is this is the dead mom trope Oh, God. This is the, all right, we've killed what you love. Right. If you're not careful, I'm about to start um, belting out Broadway musicals here. I mean, (laughs) you do you. (laughs) I will when we finish recording later on tonight. I support you in this. Alone in my apartment, uh, like God intended. Um, I'm, I'm actually not, I mean, I'm kind of surprised, but not surprised that they kind of cut to the directed by right after this. So we just see the smoking body and then it just kind of like the episode just ends. Like they don't resolve anything, which Mm -hmm. is, I don't know if that, yeah, it is a cliffhanger, but at the same time, like we were saying before, the episode needs to have a complete, you know, kind of self-contained ending. And it, I don't know if it does. Not necessarily. I wish they had called it part one and part two. That's what I mean. It like would have it been a be... lot easier just to accept it yeah. as a part one and part two because the Mandalorian, it can't seem to make up its mind whether or not it wants to be serial or whether it wants to be episodic. Right. And it's like, I'm, I'm not sure because then you get episodes like this one, which is clearly just set up for episode eight. It's a Western. A lot of when serial westerns were being aired back in like the 30s and 40s and 50s that's where we like not just westerns i mean this is the same these were the same studios that gave us stuff like uh like flash gordon and Mm. buck rogers but cliffhangers were the thing that you ended on so people came back right all the time and so it just felt very like like yeah this makes sense this makes sense that you would do this that that you would pull that out i think what we're just trying to say is that like normally in this situation you would have said like okay clearly this is part one 
not mm-hmm. this is its own episode because they're billing it as its own episode when it in fact it is just a part one to a part two so i don't know if that was just correct in the terms of like name the convention the naming conventions and just the way episodes are supposed to work in terms of just how tv is structured you know what i mean like this if, show has a name problem though yeah what is the name of this the app the episode after this the redemption so nope just redemption oh that's right it got is. upset about that's it last right. week it's called redemption so this one's called reckoning right i think i think that the reckoning the rec yeah the reckoning like the definition that you gave at the beginning like yeah this feels like this is what this was about that these are your consequences if if they had dwelled a little bit more on the relationship between grief karga and mando following the events of episode three it would have worked a little better to end it on a cliffhanger mm-hmm. that i felt and I, again, I talked about this way back at the beginning when I talked about my dislike. I said I felt a lot of the character interaction and growth was sacrificed in the name of setting up episode eight. That mm-hmm. they should have taken a little bit more time to let Grief and Mando interact with each other mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, just basically setting up all the puzzle pieces where we need to be for the final yeah. episode. So, is there anything else in this episode you guys want to talk about other than the fact that it was directed by Deborah Chow again? So, Cara Dune's hair. <laughs> <Are these things? laughs> that's a segue. Uh, I was going to say, how does that have anything to do with Deborah Chow? But that's okay. Um, moving on. What What about uh, Cara's hair uh, did you notice? So, uh, watching the show the whole time, it took me a while to realize that her hair isn't like a buzz cut of some kind because, again, my, my eyes, not good. It's, just um, it's braided. It's braided. Yeah. It's braided along through there. Oh, okay. I guess uh, they they suggested to her they wanted to do the buzz cut on one side, the undercut. Gotcha. And they didn't. And so the hairstyle, a couple of the guys, I don't know the names of the people who run this, and I only remember Deborah because they were watching her on set directing, and the hairstyle that she had, with she had her hair braided back out of her eyes and such like that, and they were watching her run around getting stuff done. They're like that's really cool looking yeah and so Cara Dune's hairstyle is partially it they base it off of just how she does her hair okay Aaron came in armed with the trivia I was gonna say because I'm glad like you said I did also think that it was kind of like a shaved side thing which I don't actually like so I like that they did this instead because I think that that's a little too I guess predictable of a hairstyle. I guess if you want to give it something, I think like, it was that John Favreau thought that would be neat, but uh, the actress didn't wanted to the character to have more more of a feminine kind of style. Yeah, no, I I love the choice. I think it actually works really it looks well. So good. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a cool. It's also it's futuristic enough to be like, oh, that's a Star Wars look. Like I believe that. Like I would believe that that's like you know whatever. But it's also a practical thing for it's the so actress practical. because obviously the actress doesn't have to shave her head for that a and so i love that it's based <laughs> off of someone in real life just going like all right i have to get my hair on my face and braid it back yes like well, on this thing call you can't yeah. necessarily see but i have a fair amount of hair right it's a practical use versus a you know just 
for the sake of giving her an interesting hairstyle like it's like no she needs it out of her face because she uses guns all the time and she gotta you know shoot stuff and whatever it looks Um, good well uh aaron thank you so much for uh being here today um is there anything you want to plug I have a Twitter. Sometimes I post pictures of jewelry that I work on, but mostly I just post pictures of my dog or we we see (laughs) dogs or complain about the health insurance industry. So if you want to hear that. The Twitter, by the way, because I have it up in front of me is at A is an alpha, E is an echo, R, O is an Oscar, L, L, O, C, O. They're all loco. Arrow gotcha. i'll put it i'll put it in the de- it'll be in the description right there we go and we don't and have then, to worry about that my and name then- is not spellable by anyone <laughs> i've branded i've branded accordingly gotcha thank you for having me um can't believe i signed on to willingly have star wars mansplained to me it's fine <laughs> <laughs> i no. mean basically yes that's what we do at least that was what i was expecting this actually went Gotcha. I was about to say, I think so you great. I was going to say, you did some explaining to us. Yeah. So, inevitably, inevitably, everybody listening will be like, no, I loved not, it. She needs to. Okay. No. Good, 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 good. No, good, I loved good. it. it you can, as far as plugging ourselves, you can follow the continued uh, gay explaining of Star Wars on our Twitter account at Gold Squad Gays. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at, at Gold Squadron Gaze. And Bradley and I will be back next week to finish out season one of The Mandalorian with episode eight and then the Yay. week after for our whole season retrospective. And then we'll be Ooh, done. We're done. I'm so <laughs> excited to find out how it ends. Oh my God, I know. It's such a cliffhanger. I know. Such a cliffhanger ending on this week. Quill, Quill's going to be fine, right? He's going to get up. Fine. <laughs> Maybe. Aaron, we'll see. Aaron, thank you again for coming on. Thank and, you for, for, for asking me. And we will be signing out from here until next week. Bye. My head is filled with uh, random Star Wars trivia, every shirtless image of Henry Cavill, and smug one-liners. Uh, you yeah, might have to make some great. space in there for some other things. That's pretty much all I need. <laughs>